Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today, as I always am. I tell you what, folks, I think we're in for a bit of some winter weather. That's right. You know, we're looking at reports, and these reports are pretty good chances of winter weather this weekend. Tonight, as a matter of fact. And, you know, do we trust the weatherman or not? And that's up to you. We've got to put our faith in something. <laughs> and I suppose they have the most uh, modern technology we possibly could be looking at. I know I don't. Not personally. But that's right. We are looking at a good 94, as I look at it now, 94% chance of precipitation. Sunday, very cold with on and off snow, one to three inches. Now, that's down in, in, in my area, of course. I have heard some folks, there was uh, somebody who posted, I guess the weatherman sent out potential snowfall depths. And somebody up in Blairsville said, yeah, woohoo, 11 inches. I don't know. That was on Facebook. Can't always trust Facebook, you know. But breezy tomorrow morning, even a small amount of snow and sleet can be can make for dangerous travel. But it will be pretty cold. It looks like we'll not be too too high above freezing. Maybe 31. Of course, that's looking at the reports from from my area in East Hall County. So, of course, if you're listening north of Gainesville, be careful. Now, what does that mean for the garden? Well, if you're growing plants in your landscape that are hardy plants, trees, shrubs, you know, they're not going to have a problem. The snow, if there's snow and ice, the, the main trouble is maybe some breakage. You know, the weight of the snow, the weight of the ice, or the weight of the snow as it melts and refreezes to ice, which is always a possibility here. You know... Historically, our pine trees can suffer from the weight of heavy, heavy ice. And so we might see some of that. So be very wary, be very careful. Maybe don't keep your vehicles parked under trees, just in case. But it's really the weight. You know, water itself is fairly heavy, but I think it's uh, eight pounds for every gallon of water. That's pretty heavy weight, give or take. Actually, I think that's eight pounds uh, of milk in a gallon. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's just a little bit heavier. But regardless, regardless, um, as this water freezes or as the snow builds upon, say, the needles of pine trees, that's why they suffer because they're evergreen. They're one of the few evergreen plants that are native to our area. Of course, there's eastern red cedar and a few others. And there's some plants that you may have in your landscape, Leland cypress, which 
would be okay if it came down because they're terrible trees, but we don't want it to fall on somebody. Uh, but, you know, these evergreen plants, even in the shrub world, gardenias, your hollies, loripedlum, any of the conifers that may be in your landscape, you know, those fine leaves, just like the fine needles and pine trees can really acquire uh, some heavy ice and snow. And so that's the main reason that we'd be very concerning is really for safety. And of course, if trees break or if shrubs break, it would be a good idea in the late winter, uh, maybe about March into early April, uh, early spring even, to prune those branches back to make sure that they don't uh, 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 start rotting the broken branches. As a matter of fact, uh, if you do have some broken branches, whether it's shrubs or trees, you could go ahead and prune so that you have a clean cut, all right? It would be better for your plant to have a clean cut than a nasty, gnarly, broken cut that Mother Nature may have produced. So, you know, for the health of the plant, just be sure to clean up any breakage uh, that may be happening. Uh, if, if a stem just cracks in, in, in half but doesn't fully break, remove that entire broken branch uh, back to where it came from on the plant or to the closest bud or uh, branch that may be nearby. So that's what we're going to be anticipating, I suppose, over the next few hours if the weatherman is right. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if they... They do all these things to scare us. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, your plants should be fine. This is really not very, very cold temperatures if we're down in the higher 20s or even low 20s. It's still not very cold for most of your hardy landscape plants. Uh, but it will be very cold, of course, and it has been very cold for house plants. So if you've been bringing house plants out on nice fairly warm, sunny days, just be sure to be bringing them in. Continue bringing them in overnight, whether you put them in the house uh, or put them in a garage or a crawl space somewhere where they can be protected from direct onslaught of winter weather. But uh, like I said, even on a regular winter's night, these house plants they need to be shoot for 55 degrees because that's an average. Some plants would rather be at 65 degrees, which would be better in the house all winter long. Uh, but some house plants and tropicals can go into the 40s, maybe 45. And so if you're keeping your plants somewhere around 55 degrees, that's a good blanket statement to make if you've got a number of different types of plants. We definitely don't want to keep them out in the winter's chill, whether that chill is during the day or at night. Of course, at night is usually when we have our lowest temperatures. So just be sure that if we have a warm, sunny day and your tropical or house plants are outside, bring them inside uh, probably around 4 or 5 o'clock. As soon as you get home from work, don't forget to put it on a reminder. Put it on the calendar to bring them in at 5 o'clock uh, because the sun starts dropping then. Or whenever the temperatures get below that 55, 48 degree range. All right, so we should be all right. Maybe we'll have some snow. Maybe the kids will have a snow day. Who knows? <laughs> but today, I would like to uh, sort of divert our attention to the ground, to the soil. Of course, the soil that we grow in, the soil around your plants, in your vegetable beds, whether they're raised containers, the soil even in containers, you know, um, 
your annual flowers. Maybe you keep a pot of, of geraniums in the summer and then a pot of pansies in the winter. But the soil uh, or the, the, the substance that plants grow in is critical because it's their home. It's where they're going to live. And if you're growing landscape plants, whether it's perennial uh, herbaceous perennials that die down in the winter, come back every year, uh, whether it's shrubs, evergreen or deciduous, or trees, evergreen or deciduous, you know, these kinds of plants will be in the ground for a very long time. Now, if you're growing vegetables or annual flowers, those plants have a limited life in your landscape. You may plant them in the spring, and then by the frost, you're taking them out. So just a few months. But regardless, for the amount of time that these plants are in your soil and in your landscape or vegetable beds, they, they will make this soil that you plant them in their home. And we want to make sure we give these plants a good home to grow in. Because if they have a great home to live in, then they will surely benefit you with great flowers, awesome foliage, tasty fruits and vegetables, whatever it is you're growing, if they've got a good home and they're healthy and happy in that soil, then you too will be healthy and happy with with what they produce for you. And so today, I thought we'd talk about soil and improving soil health. Can you have an unhealthy soil? Absolutely. Can you have a healthy soil? Yes, you can. And in the South, you know, we have this clay-based soil, generally speaking, in the Piedmont area at least, You go further south and you turn into more sandy loam soils. But here we have more clay soils. And so these soils are oftentimes given a bad name. But clay soil is actually a fairly good base to start with. We just need to improve upon what we're given and making sure that the soil becomes more nutritious, uh, better, uh, easier to hold water, but draining well. And also being able to hold on to nutrition because the plants get all of their nutrition, all the food they need. Well, I should back up. It's not really food. All of the, uh, the pieces of a pie they need to make a pie and eat that because, <laughs> you know, plants make their own food. But they use things like nitrogen. They use phosphorus, potassium, oxygen, hydrogen, all kinds of nutrition uh, to make their own food which is, I think, makes plants quite amazing because, of course, you and I have to go to the grocery store. We have to grow our own food. We have to eat animals, you know, chicken. I'm a good, uh, I mean, I, I just love a good piece of chicken. And that's how we feed ourselves. We have to go outside of ourselves. But plants generally are making their own food as long as they're giving the building blocks to make that pie. So they've got to get the flour, they've got to get the sugar, they've got to get the uh, filling. You know, I don't know what kind of pies uh, plants would like, but I like peach cobbler. So they need the peaches, they need uh, the, the, the milk and, and all these things that we would put together to make a dish. They make their own dish inside their own body from all of these little nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, etc. And so if we give these plants a great soil to grow in, with all of the nutrition they need, all of the water they need, then they will be lacking for nothing. The only thing we've got to think about is how much sun do they get. But today we're focusing mainly on the earth, not necessarily uh, sunlight. And so 
I'd like to go into a discussion briefly about the components of soil, particularly soil minerals and how you can test what kind of soil you have. There's a simple test that uh, any gardener can do uh, in their kitchen to see how much sand, silt, and clay they've got, and we'll talk about the details of those in a minute. And then after we talk just briefly about soil, I do want to go into a discussion about improving the soil. Improving your soil health by increasing the organic matter through manures, compost, mulches, green manures, uh, uh, like grasses and other plants. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit about the microorganisms in the earth because there, there are tiny little critters in the earth, uh, bacteria and fungus. And usually when we talk about bacteria and fungus, we think that's a bad thing, that those are diseases. But they, there are plenty of microorganisms like bacteria and fungus that cause disease and can be detrimental to plants' health. But there are plenty of microorganisms that are working to benefit plant health. I guess, well, we'll talk about that later on. And then, of course, we'll give you these practical applications you can employ in your landscape uh, today, well, maybe after the snow, say next week, uh, because it won't be too fun to be out in the garden in the snow other than maybe enjoying the beauty of nature. But regardless, we'll give you a practical applications all along throughout today's show that you can employ in your own landscape to test the kind of soil you have to see what you're starting with. And then secondly, practical applications on improving soil health. What are some things you should be doing? Now, again, folks, these tips are going to be geared towards any kind of gardening. We're going to talk very generally, but you can use these tips whether you're growing uh, uh, flower beds, whether you're growing vegetable plants, uh, an orchard, whatever it is you're growing, uh, ornamental or edible, all plants will respond to these these uh, steps we take to improving soil health. Now, when we get back from this quick break, we are going to talk about soil and just a little bit about uh, the basics. But, you know, I was thinking that when we first started New Southern Garden in like 2018, several years ago, we did do a couple of shows about soil. And if you would like to learn more about the details of soil, because let me tell you folks, as boring as it sounds, there is a science to soil. There is a complete um, uh, study of soil and soil science. And so, of course, I break down some of the basics, and we've got them online at NewSouthernGarden.com. We've got those shows there for you. And, of course, on the podcasting apps. So, you know, if after you get done to listening to us live, maybe you jump on on the snowy weekend and learn more about soil. But we're going to do just that when we get back uh, after this quick break. Hang on tight, gang. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. All right, gang, so today we turn, return our attention to our feet and what is underneath it in the garden, and that is soil. Of course, we know that plants, for the most part, grow in the soil. There are a few examples where plants may grow on other trees, you know, in our area. There is a plant that we use around uh, Christmas time called mistletoe. Of course, that particular plant grows in the bark and is actually a parasite to the tree that it's growing in. I've seen it grow in Bradford pears. I've seen it grow in oaks. They've got a number of plants that they'll grow on. But for the most part, plants grow in the earth. They grow in soil. Now, of course, you know, being a a guy who operates a plant nursery, of course, that's called Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. We grow our plants in containers so that we can sell them easily. Uh, People can pile them up in the back of their Prius or their Honda Civic, without, you know, too much effort. Uh, We don't grow them in true soil. No, we grow them in organic matter, usually some kind of uh, bark, a bark-based media, composted bark, Uh, could be a pine bark, could be a number of things. And so plants are pretty resilient. They can grow in high organic matter. Actually, they probably prefer that. But soil is made of certain minerals, You see, the stuff we use in our containers at the nursery and the stuff you buy in bags, unless it's listed as topsoil or marketed as topsoil, there may actually be no true soil in it. And plants respond well to growing in composted organic matter. As a matter of fact, when you walk into the woods, if you've ever dug around underneath trees in the woods, you'll notice that that first maybe two or three inches of soil is not true soil at all. It's just a thick layer of composted organic matter. It's where leaf material has fallen year after year uh, around the forest from the trees. It piles up. It rots down. The bacteria and fungus work on it. The insects and the earthworms uh, eat it and excrete it. And, And all that's left behind is just this thick layer of organic matter. And you'll find that a lot of plants' roots grow directly in that. But, of course, in many of our landscapes, uh, what we're dealing with is soil, and particularly probably clay-based soil. If you're growing in the Piedmont, if you're listening outside of our region, then you very well might be finding uh, more sandy soil, more silty soil, and every soil is different. As a matter of fact, the, the composition of the soil on one area of your property may be very different than the composition of soil in another area of your property. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, there are ways to figure out what kind of soil you have. What kind, do you have more clay soil? Do you have more silty soil? Do you have more sandy soil? I'm going to give you a test you can do in your kitchen or garden shed, wherever, uh, pretty easy and basically. Now, again, we're not going to go into too many details about what soil is made of and how it works because we've done that before. We did that uh, one of the first shows we've ever had. And like I said, last segment, if you'd like to listen to uh, our program about soil in particular, feel free to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
Uh, you'll find the shows on the podcasting apps. And of course, we've got Facebook and Instagram for you to leave questions if you have any. Now, what I do want to mention today is how can you determine what kind of minerals you have in your soil. There are three main minerals in the soil. Those are called sand, silt, and clay. And I've already referred to that. Now, these minerals are basically grouped by size of the particle. Okay, so, you know, in our clay-based soils, whenever you put a little soil on your hand and rub it between your fingers, you'll find that it's very smooth. Uh, it's very slick. Now, if you had a sandy soil, you would rub it in your hands and you could feel a grittiness to it because the sand particle, if you have any sand in your soil, those particles are very large. Very large particles like sand uh, allow for good water drainage, but they don't allow for good water retention. They don't hold on to as much water as a smaller particle would. The silt is sort of an in-between the sand and clay. Clay being a very small, tiny, smooth particle, sand being very large, and silt being somewhere in between. Those are the terms they use in soil science, uh, but really for us, it's just a matter of determining the size of these particles to see what percentage of sand, silt, or clay we have in our soils. Now, an ideal soil would be something like a sandy loam. Sandy loam has um, just a little more sand than silt and clay. A true loamy soil, which a loamy soil is light and fluffy, but it has an equal part of sand, silt, and clay. Now, of course, the soil you find in your landscape will probably not be very loamy. It will be a bit more clayy. It'll have quite a bit of clay. So if you want to start by figuring out what you have in your landscape, what kind of soil you have, you can make a simple test um, in any of your area. If you're testing your vegetable plot, if you're testing your shrub areas or your perennial areas or your orchard area, whatever you're growing, you can easily test uh, to see about how much percentage of sand, silt, and clay you have. And here's what we want to do. We want to take a representative sample of soil from that area. So take maybe up to, oh, 10 little plugs from uh, four to eight inches below the earth, and you'll mix those in a bucket. So you want to sort of make this uh, very homogenous. Mix all of those 10 samples together in a bucket. Take out about a cup or so and pour it into a glass jar. Uh, could be plastic, but something that is very see-through, like a mason jar, will work. Put about a cup or maybe cup and a half, depending on the size of your jar, and uh, then fill the rest of it up with water. You can leave a little headroom at the top because you're going to screw the top on to this glass jar with your soil and water mixture, and you're going to shake it vigorously. Shake it vigorously until all of the soil is broken up and uh, mixed in with the water. Now, leave that jar on a countertop or a, a bench somewhere. It doesn't have to be, it can be inside, it can be outside. And when about 24 hours or so, come back to the jar and you'll see that everything has settled. Everything has settled in the jar based on the size of the particle. The, the sand particles, being very large and a bit heavier, are going to settle to the bottom. The silt particles will fall in a, a, a nice band right above the sand. And then any clay you have will be sitting right on top of that, uh, the, those layers. So you'll look for three distinct layers. You'll look for sand, silt, and clay. And you can use a ruler to measure uh, the bands and do some math to figure out the percentages. 
And so you might find that your, your soil is 58% clay, 10% sand, and, uh, and the rest in silt. Now, what that's going to give us is that's going to give us a little information on the texture of the soil. Soil minerals, the sand, silt, and clay give us a texture. And when you're doing your percentages on the, the amount of sand, silt, and clay you have, if you have more, uh, if you have more clay, you'll know that you're fighting maybe a, a heavy soil that holds on to a lot of water, maybe doesn't drain very well. If you have more sand, uh, then you will be fighting a battle of uh, a soil that actually drains very well and doesn't hold on to a lot of water or nutrition because sand does not hold on to much nutrition or water. Clay does, though. Now, if you find you've got almost equal parts of sand, silt, and clay, uh, you've got a wonderful soil. You've got a good uh, base to start with. Now, we are getting close to a break for this segment, but we're going to transition into improving soil health because let me tell you, if you have a more sandy soil, which could be problematic, or if you have more clay soil, which can be problematic, the fix, the fix for those two, uh, uh, those two opposites is going to be the same. We're going to talk a lot in the rest of the show about improving soil by increasing the amount of organic matter. And uh, we're going to talk about the details of why organic matter does such a good job with helping and why when we do that, that um, we'll see our, our soils improved. We'll see them improved. So organic matter is the key. Now, we're going to talk about compost, manures, mulches, and all that and the benefits to using different types of green material, living material, or dead material that used to be alive. When we get back, improving your soil health. Greenness unfolded for the world. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang. Well, today we are talking about improving your life, <laughs> improving your health by improving your soils. So before the break, we were talking about a simple way that you can take a mason jar, fill it with soil from your landscape, from your planting area, mix it with water, shake it up, let it settle for about 24 hours or longer, depending on how long it takes, and testing the amount of sand, silt, and clay you have. Because if you find that you have a lot of sand in your soil, you could have potential problems. Dry soils, low nutrition. If you find that you have a lot of clay in your soils, you can find similar problems there, but the reverse. You can find that you may have uh, wet soils that don't drain very well. Now, before the break, I mentioned that we were going to talk about how to solve either of these problems. And the solution is the same. The solution is the same. And that is to increase the amount of organic matter 
in your soil. Now, increasing the, uh, increasing the amount of organic matter in your soil can happen a number of ways. And I'll give you some practical applications and we'll talk about the different types. But I do want to mention on how organic matter works in the soil. Now, organic matter, just to define here, is material that was once alive but has died and has created sort of a, a, a brown, dark, black color to your soil. You know, anytime we see dark soil, we know that there's a good bit of organic matter. And that organic matter helps to hold on to water at the same time as helping to drain water. So with a clay soil, organic matter will help to break up the clay particles to allow for more drainage. With a sandy soil, the organic matter will hang out around the sand particles and help hold moisture in the soil. The other thing is that as these organic matters break down, okay, they sort of um, exude a sticky solution that is dark in color. Uh, we call it humic acid. Uh, you know, that stuff you call in the, you find in the woods, the black stuff, that organic matter. Sometimes we call humus, and that's not hummus. That's something you eat with crackers, I believe, from chickpeas. But humus is a nice, thick layer of organic matter you find under trees uh, and whatnot. And so this uh, humic acid that, these, uh, that this, these particles exude is sticky, and it helps to uh, hold soil together but create these channels sort of like a nice piece of chocolate cake. You know, with chocolate cake, it's not a solid brick. No, it's fluffy, it's light, it's got air in it. And the same thing happens with soil. As a matter of fact, a nice organic soil, uh, or a soil that's been increased with organic matter, when you start digging it, you'll see that it crumbles apart like a chocolate cake into these larger particles we call aggregates. And these aggregates are essential for soil structure because that allows air to uh, be involved in the soil, but it also allows water to fr flow freely through the soil. And so by increasing the amount of organic matter in your soil, you will help to increase uh, the health of the soil for the plant's sake. Now, we're talking mainly about organic matter that is dead. You know, compost, manure, things that either came from plants um, compost from your kitchen, you know, scraps from your vegetable uh, cooking, squashes, uh, tomatoes, things that have been rotted down. You know, those that is one type of organic matter. But the other important factor of soil is living organic matter. That's right, living organic matter. I've already sort of alluded that there are tiny microscopic bacterias and fungus, and they're doing things in the soil and to the soil that can improve the health for the plant. But also things that you can see, living things that you can see like earthworms, other insects, beetles, even ants. You know, nobody likes fire ants, which we are plagued with here in the southeast. But these ants and earthworms, beetles, bugs, grubs, larvae, they're squirming around. They're consuming certain parts of the soil, uh, helping to, you know, create that cycle of life, if you will. Uh, they may eat something and then excrete it, and it turns into wonderful plant food, plant food <laughs> like uh, worm poop, right? Worm castings. So these living organic matters that are large, and you can see, or small, and you can't see, like the fungus and bacteria. When organic matter is improved, 
these living creatures come to the soil and they're helping to aerate the soil. They're helping again to leave nutrients behind in their castings or their bug poop. (laughs) And so all of these things, whether it's dead organic matter or living organic matter are going to help improve soil. And like I said, if you bring in dead organic matter that the worms and other organisms can feed on, then you're just helping to improve your soil. As a matter of fact, a bare soil that has no organic matter on top or mixed in will have very few worms. But if you've been working on improving your soil with organic matter, you'll find that there are copious amounts of worms. It's sort of like that old movie, oh, what is that movie with Kevin Costner? Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Well, if you feed them, they will come. If you give them something to eat, these critters will come and help improve your soil, and it takes a lot of uh, less work on your end. So now, let's talk more about these organic matters that are dead. They're not living organic matters, uh, but then we will talk a little bit about living organic matters later. So increasing your soil organic matter by using manure. Manure is a great way to increase uh, soil organic matter. Of course, manures would come from animals. Now, animals, they eat living tissue. They eat leaves. They eat grass. They eat feed, corn, whatever it is. They eat those materials, and they process it in their guts, and then they excrete it. And if you collect these manures, then you can apply them as a mulch around your shrubs or your perennials, You can apply them as a mulch to your organic beds, uh, not organic beds, to your vegetable beds. Uh, You can till them into your vegetable plot. You can lay them around bases of trees. They'll slowly rot down that way, but they will help to increase the, uh, uh, the organic matter in your soil. So whether you have sandy soil or clay-y soil, uh, you'll be helping the problems that those, you'll be, you'll be correcting the problems that those two soil types may bring. All right, so manures, though, are not all the same. Maybe you have chickens, and you know what you're feeding them, and you're using their manure. Maybe you have rabbits. That's fine, too. We don't necessarily recommend to use dog or uh, cat manure, if you will. (laughs) Uh, What they eat is not necessarily going to produce the kind of results we want. And, of course, uh, we don't want to increase diseases or potential diseases around our uh, plants for our pets. So uh, just leave those in the lawn, if you will. It'll help feed the lawn, but not your vegetables. Now, manures can be brought in. You can bring in chicken manure. Of course, if you live in the northeast Georgia area, there's a lot of chicken farms. A lot of chicken farms. And if you know somebody who can spare a couple of truckloads for you, the more the better. But now there's also uh, bigger animal manures that you can use, cows and horses. But I do want to draw your attention to one problem you may come across. When you're using uh, large animal manures like cows or horses that have been in a pasture or fed um, uh, fed straw that has been, or hay, I guess I should call it, uh, hay that has been treated with weed killer, there's a certain weed killer that is very beneficial to people growing the hay, to the hay farmer, to the cattle farmer. It's called Grazon. Now, Grazon is the brand name Uh, for a chemistry that actually doesn't break down very well. So this particular uh, chemistry will 
leave grasses alone. They won't damage grasses, but they will damage broadleaf plants. There's plenty of broadleafs in the field that need to be destroyed, and some farmers tend to use grazon. But this particular chemistry can be consumed by the animal with no drawback to its health, but it's also not broken down in the gut of the animal, and the manure that comes out of the animal may still have trace amounts of this chemistry. And if you use that manure on your tomatoes or on your gardenias, it very well may bring damage to them. So if you're going to use some straw from a farm or manure from a farm that is using grazon, I would caution against it. You may do a small test area, uh, but this particular chemistry doesn't necessarily break down well, and it can cause detrimental effects to your, uh, to your crops. Now, compost. Compost, you, you, know, you can purchase compost in bags, but not all compost is the same. Some things people call compost is, uh, you know, rotted wood material, shredded, shredded bark, shredded, uh, shredded trunks of trees that's been well rotted down. There's nothing wrong with using that. It's very easy to come by. You may actually call your, your local uh, municipality or maybe even your um, electric provider, your electric company, because they trim trees, they rake leaves off the ground, they usually pile them somewhere, or if they're in your area, they may dump, they may dump, bring to your house a load of probably fresh ground trees, fresh chipped up trees, but you can let it compost or use it as mulch, just lay it around your plant material. So that's one type of compost. Of course, compost you may be making in your, in your garden, uh, maybe made up of grass clip trimmings, grass clippings, uh, leaf and branch clippings. Uh, you may be using coffee grounds in there. You may be using vegetable scraps, uh, rotten vegetables that didn't make it to the plate in time. All of these things are very nutritious and they break down. Now, when you're making compost, I think we talked about this recently, but remember, we've got to have a balance of green material and brown material, things that are leafy and things that are woody. You've got to have a, co- a combination of that. You've got to have some moisture, but you don't need an aerobic or anaerobic situation where there's no air. You also need air and water. And then, of course, rotating and flipping these piles can help to aerate and bring the air that is needed uh, to compost with. But you can incorporate that into the vegetable beds. You can use this compost that you make or have brought in around the base of plants, uh, however you prefer to do it. If, you know, with shrubbery, you can't really work it in around the plant soil because you don't want to damage the roots. Just lay it on top. Lay it on top around those plants that are already established. And boy, in just a few weeks, you'll probably start noticing the earthworms, the uh, other uh, insects, bacteria, and fungus going to town on it. Now, mulch, of course, just a simple layer of of, uh, pine straw, simple layer of uh, ground-up tree bark or whatever you prefer, something organic, something that came from a living organism like a tree uh, is great to use to mulch with, but at the same rate, benefit, uh, benefit your soil because it will slowly be broken down. Now, we're coming up to a break, but I do want to go ahead. Those, those, those three things, manures, compost, and mulches, are dead living tissue, right? They once were living. They came from a living source. Now they're dead, and they're slowly decomposing. Uh, 
But there are benefits to using green materials, things that are living, actually growing plants in these areas to help improve the soil. So I'll try to touch on a little bit before the break, uh, but basically we have two main groups of plants that we can use to improve our soil, uh, and sow them in the ground, let them do their thing, and then reap benefits. And that's grasses and legumes. Now, grasses can come in a wide variety, whether it's a native grass uh, or whether it's some seasonal grass. And legumes are plants in the bean family, the pea and bean family. That's right. Those kinds of plants can add a lot of benefit to your soil. And I know I don't have time now to go into the detail, but when we get back from this quick break, we're going to talk about green manures, not the brown manures, things that are dead, but things that are living, things you can actually get started on in the next week or two to help benefit your soil. Cool season weather is a good time to think about laying green manures. And when we get back, I'm going to tell you all about it. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, who would have ever guessed that the topic of soil could have brought about an entire show? I think that sometimes we overlook our soils. We are get, we get so excited about planting. We get so excited about growing a vegetable garden that we forget to prepare the soil uh, for planting and, and really just for soil health. Now, of course... There are some times when we would say use copious amounts of organic matter like with vegetables, with annual beds, with uh, perennial beds, Uh, but when you're planting trees and shrubs, you don't necessarily have to go to the effort of um, using organic matter in the soil. You know, you don't necessarily have to amend the soil. Uh, We show, research shows that it's not the best for plants, uh, for trees and shrubs, but definitely feeding the soil Putting organic matter on the top of the soil, we've already talked about using manures and compost and mulch, doing that regularly will slowly help to build the soil that is around your trees and shrubs. So with that in mind, we were talking about plants, uh, sorry, we're talking about uh, increasing the amount of organic matter in your soil to improve your soil health by using manures, compost, and mulch. Those are all uh, dead, once living uh, organic matters, and now they're on their way to decomposition and breaking down. But not many people know that you can use living plants to help increase the organic matter in your soil. 
So over winter, if you don't grow many vegetables or maybe in your flower beds you don't do much or maybe you anticipate you want to grow a new vegetable garden, well, in these areas, you can turn the soil over, you can plant grasses and legumes, uh, which are plants. Usually you can find many different cool season grasses and legumes that are going to help to improve your soil. And here's how they do it. Grasses. Grasses provide copious amounts of carbon to the soil. And carbon is really what makes the soil look brown and black and dark and rich in color. And that carbon, see grasses, what they do is they grow And usually we mow them down and they keep growing and we mow them down and they keep growing and we mow them down. So every time we mow grass, those leaves fall to the earth, they break down and they add carbon to the soil. They add that rich organic matter that we're looking for. So if you've got a soil that is very clayey, it's almost the red clay, the red dirt, people say, of Georgia, the classic uh, Piedmont soil, you can improve the color of that soil, improve the organic matter by growing grasses much like you would in a pasture. You can do it on a small scale. If you've got raised beds, you can sow these grasses uh, in the fall. They'll grow all winter, and then by spring, you can turn them over, uh, or actually, uh, they'll usually just die on their own when it gets too hot. There's one called annual ryegrass, which is very easy to acquire. Many people use it for a winter lawn, but you can use it to improve the health of your soil. Now, legumes are other types of plants that... It was essentially anything in the bean family or the pea family. You see, they do produce carbon in their leaves and in their roots, but they also have this strange and unusual ability to take nitrogen in the air and put it into its root system. And they do that with the help of some bacteria. And if you've ever pulled up a bean plant of any kind on the roots, you'll see these little nodules. They look like sort of a weird, you know, tumor, tumor-like growth. But what's happening in there is you've got uh, this bacteria working to transform atmospheric nitrogen into an organic nitrogen. And when those bean plants die and slowly decompose, they start to release this nitrogen into the soil. Now, nitrogen is one of the, uh, one of the nutrients that doesn't hold on to the soil very well. And so having beans grow or some kind of legume, a pea, there's an Austrian winter pea. Uh, Austrian winter pea, which we used to use at UGA in the organic vegetable area, or, or, well, organic vegetable farm out there. And we would grow it all winter long and then turn it under the soil when winter was over and plant our vegetables directly in that. And so as that breaks down, you do release some carbon, but you mainly are releasing that nitrogen that normally you'd have to use as a fertilizer to get it into the soil. So if you get creative with using a mixture of manures and compost and mulches and these green manures like grasses and legumes, you can really build the amount of carbon in the soil, sequester it because that helps to improve the health of the soil. And with the help of the legume, leguminous plants like beans and peas, uh, you can achieve a very, uh, very nutritious soil because nitrogen is usually that limiting factor, but those legumes will help to recover it. Now, the last little bit of living living organic matters that I want to talk about are microorganisms. 
and I've already sort of briefly touched on these, but uh, microorganisms are tiny living creatures that you and I can't see with our bare eyes. You would have to use a microscope to see these bacterias, to see these fungus. Now, usually when I say bacteria and fungus, I'm talking about something that can destroy the plant. But let me tell you, folks, there are a lot of bacteria and fungus that destroy and damage plants. But there are plenty of microorganisms, bacteria and fungi, that help plants. They help improve the soil, and they actually can physically help certain plants take in more water and nutrition. And I'll tell you how that works. There's this, there's this hot topic out there in horticulture today called mycorrhizae. Now, mycorrhizae is a type of fungus. There's different types of mycorrhizae, but uh, these mycorrhizae actually grow natively and wild in the woods. Usually they're found in pine trees, maybe with some oaks and whatnot. But these tiny uh, fungus, they create a web. They actually sort of feed on the root system of the plant, but they also provide the plant with nutrition. So we call that a symbiotic relationship. It's where two individuals, two different organisms, help each other out. One is giving something while the other's taking, and the other is giving something while the other one is taking. And so this particular kind of fungus, even though it wraps itself into the root system of these plants, it can actually increase the amount of water that a plant can take up. So where, you know, the plant's roots may be limited with the help of this mycorrhizae, with this fungus, with the help of this mycorrhizae, it may have two to three times the increased water uptake or increased nutrition uptake. Now, of course, the plant is, is growing and producing food, and it sends some, uh, some goodies to that fungus too. So they really do help each other out. Uh, mycorrhizae do grow wild in the woods. The trouble with mycorrhizae is you've got, because they depend on other organisms to grow, they really need to have something uh, to help them live. And so some folks will buy mycorrhizae in a bag, like a sterile bag. And I'm thinking, well, that mycorrhizae hasn't necessarily been able to feed on things. So when you buy mycorrhizae, make sure they guarantee that it's living. Uh, but you may start by just going and getting some uh, what, what the old timers called woods dirt. You know, that humus layer we're talking about. Go into the, the pine trees or the oak trees, dig out some woods dirt just a little bit, and then take it and add it to your landscape or add it to your vegetable garden. Remember, those mycorrhizae need help living and they will help your plants so you can't just leave them in a barren soil you got to get them with something to grow with okay gang this show has been all about soil and improving it so if you have any questions i know it was a blur of a time check us out online at newsoutherngarden.com leave us a question on facebook instagram and really this is nathan wilson for new southern garden hoping you stay well and grow well take care during the snowstorm <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 